Andy, can you believe we've almost hit 700 episodes of The Next Reel? I know, it's crazy. And with all the other episodes in our family of podcasts, we are well over 1,200 episodes of movie conversation. It's really pretty amazing that we've gotten to have these in-depth movie chats every week for over a decade now. And we couldn't have done it without our loyal community of film fans. Their support over the years has meant so much. For sure. That reminds me, we should give the merch store a shout out. Buying shirts from thenextreel.com slash merch is a great way listeners can continue to support the show. Plus, they get to sport our great designs. Absolutely. I think sometimes folks forget we have a variety of shirts, mugs, phone cases, and more available. In fact, a great place to start is with a shirt sporting the Next Reel's logo. We also have that classic Fast Times Spicoli Surf School tee, or the weirdly popular Rusty's European Tour shirt. The one from National Hemp Foods European Vacation. Why is that so popular? <laughs> Search me, but we have sold a ridiculous number of those. I guess there are a lot of Rusties taking trips to Europe? We're always adding new designs based on movies we've covered, like our brand new design for a streetcar named Desire, featuring a streetcar named Desire. So if you want to rep your love of TNR and films, head to thenextreel.com slash merch. Every purchase helps us continue to have these weekly in-depth conversations. So visit thenextreel.com slash merch today. And as always, thanks for listening and being a part of the Next Real community. We've got lots more great movie chats coming your way. Andy, it's hard to believe we've been having weekly conversations about movies since 2011. Oh, you're telling me. Producing this show week after week is so much fun, but it does require a ton of work behind the scenes. If you'd like to help support our efforts, one easy way is by using our Originals page when shopping for books and movies that we've covered. Your purchases made through our links give us a small commission at no extra cost to you and allow us to keep having these great discussions. The Originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals has links to purchase the source material behind our adapted film discussions. Your purchases there help support the show at no extra cost. For the entirety of Season 11, we featured films directed by women. The only exceptions were some of our member bonus episodes. We talked about the lure for our horror debuts series, which is a very loose adaptation of The Little Mermaid by Hans Christian Andersen. Definitely miles from the Disney versions. <laughs> for our 10-year anniversary series, we covered We Need to Talk About Kevin, taken from the Lionel Shriver novel. Man, that was brilliant. And horrifying. Yeah. The Journalist series included Merrily We Go to Hell and The Weight of Water, adapted from Anita Shreve's bestseller. We filled some gaps in previous series with member bonus episodes on adaptations like Malcolm X, Mr. Blandings Builds His Dream House, Cactus Flower, Wild at Heart, Life Force, and The Blues Brothers. Our John Hurd series looked at a trio of adaptations, Chilly Scenes of Winter from the novel by Ann Beatty, Awakenings based on Oliver Sacks' nonfiction book, and Rambling Rose adapted from the Calder Willingham novel. Two films in our coming-of-age debut series were adapted from books, The Virgin Suicides from Jeffrey Eugenides and The Diary of a Teenage Girl, Phoebe Gluckner's graphic novel. We had Queen of Cotway for our sports series based on Tim Crothers' nonfiction book. And Clueless kicked off our 90s comedy series, loosely adapted from Jane Austen's Emma. It totally took place in the 90s, though. <laughs> Find all of these books and more adaptations on our Originals page at thenextreel.com slash originals. Start your next read from the movies we've covered. Visit thenextreel.com slash originals today.
I'm Pete Wright. And I'm Andy Nelson. Welcome to the next reel. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Good night, mommy, is over. Please prove you're our mom. Andy, we're in our horror debuts, and this time we have a debut of a, is it an aunt-nephew, nephew-aunt <laughs> duo? What's going on? I I think that's really interesting. I've never heard of that before, but uh, yeah, Severin Fiala, he is the nephew of Veronica France and her husband, Ulrich Seidel. Veronica had um, uh, worked as a film journalist for a while before... Um, I think then for her husband, who was a filmmaker, she had co-written some screenplays with him um, for some of his projects. He did a, a trilogy called the Paradise Trilogy. She worked on those. She worked as an a, assistant director. Uh, and her nephew, Severin, had gone to film school. And at some point in just kind of like, I think he babysat a lot for their kids and stuff. They realized how much of a similar passion the two of them had for horror films. And that kind of led them on this path. Although, actually, and I should say, this isn't their debut feature or film, it, it, because initially they did a documentary before, but it is their debut narrative uh, film. The documentary they did in 2012, a couple years before this, it was about Austrian actor Peter Kern, who is kind of a controversial actor and filmmaker who had worked with uh, Rainer Werner Fassbinder um, in German cinema. A little bit of a crazy person, and they followed him for two years and made a documentary about him called Kern. And then from that, they went on to make this their narrative debut. Good night, Mommy. All right. Well, this is my favorite part of the show now that we're in this horror debut series. It's the part of the show where Pete asks Andy to predict whether or not Pete liked this movie. That's right. It's a segment called Guess If Pete Liked This Movie. Because, <laughs> uh, uh, you know, uh, horror movies, uh, they're my jam now. Uh, I'm a right. big fan of horror movies. So what do you think, Andy, after watching Goodnight Mommy? Do you think Pete liked this movie? I think you definitely liked this movie. I think part of it, I would venture to say that, you know, you being a photographer, yourself uh you have a passion for imagery and the way that uh fiala and france used the camera in this film with their cinematographer martin geschlacht i'm gonna guess uh i found to be incredibly compelling and my hunch is that you that something that drew you in and uh worked very well in context of this very horrifying story about a family dealing with grief i guess we'll say so that's my that's my sense fascinating this is going to be a great conversation and i can't wait to talk to you about you talking about me after this good night mommy was rated r for disturbing violent content and some nudity 
Hey, if you're looking for a way to help us out, just look in the show notes. And if you see an Apple or Amazon link to this movie, you can click on it. That will take you right to their site and you can rent or you can buy the movie. And when you do this, we get a tiny piece of the profits from that rental or purchase. It is a great way to help us without having to do anything other than just say, hey, I'm going to watch this movie. You know what else you can do? Speaking of things that you can do for which we get a little taste, a little, little piece off the top, it's merch. Uh, we've got merch over in our uh, merch store, truestory.fm slash TNR merch. And uh, it, we've got shirts and stickers and mugs and all that kind of good stuff. And uh, all the merch from our last series, uh, 80s Comedy with Coolidge and Heckerlings, now up on the store. And uh, we also have the merch from this series uh, jumping into the store right now. You gots to get your Point Dune shirt. Celebrate <laughs> the holidays with your Point Dune shirt. <laughs> Priceless. Priceless. We want to hear from you. That's right. We're going to start including some audio reviews from you, our listeners, into our shows. When you watch these movies, generally try to watch at least a couple weeks in ahead because then you can email us a 30-second audio file to reviews at truestory.fm. Soon as you watch it, get it sent to us, and we just might showcase it on the show. you got to remember, get in quick, though. We record probably about two weeks ahead of the public release so make sure you're getting them to us so that we can include them again it's reviews at truestory.fm but andy how would i possibly know what movies you're talking about that far ahead of time you might be asking and to which i would jump in and say letterbox.com slash the next reel that's our hq page and you can jump over there and uh you follow us over there and you can see we have a list of all the movies we're talking about uh it's our top for the entire season so you can build your own letterbox list and and uh keep up with the movies as we uh before we talk about them that way you can send your reviews in and if you really fall in love with letterbox they're fantastic and they gave us a little bit of a, uh, a code so you can jump in there uh, and upgrade your account from free to pro or patron if you use the discount code NEXTREEL and you can get 20% off either of those uh, either of those levels, pro or patron. This works for renewals as well. So for all of you current Letterbox fans, current paying Letterbox fans, you can get a little bit off the top too. NEXTREEL at letterbox.com. We are doing our semi-annual, semi uh, you know, every five years or so <laughs> questionnaire, uh, trying to get some feedback from our listeners as to what's working, what's not working. Uh, we have been kind of making some changes to the show, and we'd love to kind of hear from you as to uh, what you're thinking. Just go to truestory.fm slash the next reel. You'll see a big questionnaire button right there at the top of the page. Click on it, fill it out. We really appreciate it. And to top it off, one lucky listener who fills out the questionnaire will get a free year of membership. This applies to people who aren't members yet. It also applies to people who are already members. We will just extend your membership for a year. Get it in. It's going to be up there for a little bit longer. We appreciate it. Quinquennial, I think is what it is. The quinquennial questionnaire. That doesn't even sound like a real word. It's a real word every five years. I think the last time we did it was probably about five years ago. I say we lean in on the quinquennial questionnaire. It just feels good. <laughs> I, weirdly, it does sound alliterative <laughs> i guess is what i'll say <laughs> hey we need your support we don't sell your information we're trying to make a show that that relies on 
member support to continue growing so that you don't have to worry about all these different companies that are getting all of your information. We don't like that. We just want to uh, have a show that feels at home and safe. So to do that, we need your support to become a member. Members get to vote on our weekly Saturday matinee polls to choose on the list topics for the movie we're talking about this week. And and uh, what is it this week? It's uh, charming uh, elderly people. Cantankerous and cute senior citizens. Oh, cantankerous and cute. So charm. They're not charming. I think is the most important part. Uh, if, if you were already a member, you'd be in there voting on uh, Goodnight Mommy right now. You'd already be there voting. But if you're not a member, you don't know. You don't even right. know where to go. <laughs> Members also get early access to all of the episodes that we release and all sorts of bonus episodes. We've got uh, just such a variety of bonus episodes. And I, I, I feel like almost half of our output is bonus episodes just for members. That is a huge perk. <laughs> it's a huge perk. And our ideas for bonus things tend to outpace the growth in membership, which isn't good for us. <laughs> good. We're doing a lot of stuff over here. We could really, really use your help. <laughs> I don't mean to beg, but if I need to get down on a knee, uh, I'll do it. Uh, like, for example, our retake series is out. We've got our monthly flick chart re-ranking uh, episode where we do just kind of clean up our flick chart list. Uh, if you miss the flick charting that we used to do in the main show, that's where you find it. Uh, and uh, we're, we're we're flick charting by series in our uh, retake episode. That's another brand new thing. That didn't exist last year. It's a new thing for members. Check yeah, out. The retake, the retake episode, we'll talk through the entire series. It's basically kind of a step back to look at, at the whole series once we finish it. That's only for members. So if you want to hear that episode, you need to get your membership. We also do a monthly member bonus episode that fills in a gap from either a current or a past series. And those are always fun. It's a nice way to kind of jump back to stuff we've talked about in the past or, again, add on to something we're looking at right now. We live stream this to an unlisted YouTube uh, stream every time we record, and uh, members are sent that uh, right before we record, but you don't have to be able to show up right when we record it to watch it. If you want to catch up with the uh, the show right uh, as we record it, become a member. You'll have those links. You can jump back and, and watch any of the live streams uh, as, as they were recorded. Completely unedited nonsense. Lots of nonsense. Lots of stuff that was cut, and uh, it, it might actually be an incredibly boring exercise, but it's there for you as a perk. <laughs> you know, we also have a great Discord community of film lovers who love talking about movies that they watch and sharing their thoughts with each other. We also have in that Discord community some channels that only members can access, and those members are able to have uh, conversations with just other members. And it just allows for a, a place that feels uh, more your own. And, uh, you know, that's something that uh, that you get when you become a member. And now members also get stickers. Uh, I'm, we've, I've got stickers right here, a big stack of stickers ready to put in an envelope with your name on them. Just sign up, become a member. You'll get a you'll get a handful of stickers right in the mail. We all love stickers. Best of all, this whole thing that you just sat here listening to, you don't have to listen to this anymore. That's a big perk right there. Massive, biggest of all. TrueStory.fm slash TNR membership to learn more about our membership tiers. The most it'll cost you is five bucks a month or $55 a year. Again, TrueStory.fm slash TNR membership.
Zinnia. You are being very polite to someone who is attempting to kill us. Her wife, Saffron. You can plan all you want, but what matters is what you do when your plan falls apart. And their best friend, Goldie. Glad we didn't miss all the fun. Swords in hand, they defend their city from the worst of humanity. I am Lord Buxton Blue. Vicious Soir. The Fraconian Lake. Hair Equity Electric. Follow their adventures on the Swashbuckling Ladies Debate Society audio drama podcast. Available now at truestory.fm slash swashbuckling. Oh, Andy. Oh, sweet, sweet Andy. Good night, Mommy. Um, how'd it do for you? All right? I loved it. You know, I, I'm, I'm torn on this movie because there are, you described when in our uh, game show segment uh, all things that were true save one. And and I'm excited to have this conversation with you, but I had to withhold some of my notes from our document and only put the loving things in there because everything you said was awesome, right? I adored the camera in this movie. I thought it was gorgeous. It was just gorgeous. And the production design and the house they picked, I, I loved everything about that. Like every shot was luscious. Uh, for for me and the lines were I mean they just had such attentive production design and cinematography in in this movie so in that regard it it was wonderful I I thought uh, it, it, at points that I wanted it to be like a uh, you know that ride at Disney World the uh, soar California soaring you know the yeah, one where you're in over the, California soaring yeah that one right I wanted that in this location. Like, I thought it was just that beautiful. I wanted to, like, be moving through it because it was just luscious. Um, and and so that was all great. We should say from the outset, if you've never listened to the show, uh, why'd you start with this episode? We uh, we do spoil the movie. And this this is one that if you haven't watched, you might want to actually go watch it before I say anything more. So now would be the time to move along. Move along right now. Right now, we're about to spoil the whole yeah, movie for you. The whole so, movie. Yeah. Okay. And now I shall begin doing it by saying, I feel like I was spoiled so soon in the movie. I mean, I knew. I, I knew it. I knew the whole movie at the, I don't know how far in is the juice box scene. Ten minutes? Um, when she's pouring the juice? I thought, oh, I get it. There's only one brother. This is, that's what's spooky about this movie. Da-ba-da. The look is Wenn er was will, dann soll er mir das selber sagen. Essen hast du Hoffnung mir gemacht. Du weißt warum. Hm? And once I had committed to that line, I watched the movie like a jerk. And so I found so many of the shocking things that come later in the movie, uh, a punchline to uh, what is otherwise such an austere narrative that I was kind of bored. It is a gorgeous movie that I was unmoved by. And that hurt my own feelings. I didn't want to be that guy. But I was generally unmoved. I hang my head in shame. I mean, it's an interesting reaction to have because I was right there with you. I mean, I figured it out way too early on. And I don't know if 
it's the fault of the filmmakers or the fact that I've seen too many horror movies involving twins because so often yeah. the case is one of them is not really there. Yeah. And so it really, I mean, very early on, I kind of, uh, I mean, I think even in some of the early shots when it's just the two of them kind of walking through the corn and stuff like that. Mm hmm. Um, the way that the camera would position itself sometimes where you'd see one brother and then the camera might turn or something in a in an interesting way to kind of then all of a sudden, oh, we're actually following both brothers. I started, you know, asking myself, are are both of them here or is it just one of them? And then by the time we get inside and and mom is is serving drinks and and Elias says, you know, why didn't you give Lucas anything? And I mean, mom answers. She said he didn't ask or something like that. Yeah. But I, I immediately was suspicious. She had only set one plate. Like all of the whole thing was set up in a way where I pretty much knew also. For me, that didn't spoil anything because, because then I was able to step back from the idea of a surprise potentially that there is only one brother. And look at it as a study in psychology of this kid who clearly is in a place where he has created his his twin brother as a uh, as still being alive as a as a coping mechanism, a, like an avatar for his grief. Right. It's, right. It's, it's it's a coping mechanism to kind of still get by all of the trauma that has gone on in his life. And so for me, it became this interesting exploration in the psychology of the situation and and why he was acting the way he was, why mom was acting the way he was. And I found it to be equally as thrilling as it would have been if I had been surprised. And I will just say, I watched this with my whole family. I was the only one who actually caught on that the brother was in fact dead. And um, so for everyone else, it was a great big surprise, which yeah. allowed for a great conversation afterward. But I, I did find it interesting that for all of us, it still was a very effective film, even with me kind of figuring it out ahead of time. I, I I think that's fantastic. First of all, that that it was not a surprise, and and I think you know that is, I, I guess, the curse of watching too many movies. And so it's fine. <laughs> we, we that is the that's what we have to bear. Our cross to bear for sure. I I wonder. I, I started wondering if I could change my perspective on the movie, and and as I'm watching it, thinking, okay, what if what if the filmmakers did not intend. For that to be a reveal, what if they, what if they were making it for me, and that they knew that I would already, like you just described, they knew. What if they intentionally knew that I was already going to figure it out so early on? Does that change the tone of the movie? Does that change the lens through which I watch the movie? And I, I think it potentially could. It didn't, and and I'm I'm open to watching it again. Like it, again, because the experience of of watching it was was gorgeous. I just got tired of it uh, too early. Um, and and by the end, I don't think I was completely bought in to the way the the boy was acting as believable. I, I thought I, I'm not I'm not connected with with A, B, C leading to, you know, G in a, in a believable manner. I, it, it felt a little bit sudden. Many of his his moves, they, they were too sudden for me. And so I, I struggle with that. But w does it change? If I go in as a knowing observer, does it change that that second viewing? And uh, I'm I'm really curious about that. Well, and I think that's interesting because, uh, like you, I I had similar thoughts. And as I was watching this, I started thinking: Were the filmmakers intending for me to figure this out so early? 
they sure showed their cards fast, right? Well, it, it, it just felt, felt that like. way. It, it felt like it was played pretty early. But then I was able to watch it, and I'm like, you know what? I, I don't think they did, but I can see how they were designing so many pieces in here. Or it, It's kind of that sixth sense factor where you want to be able to watch it after the fact and still see that it all works. Like mom is only ever interacting with Elias. Mm -hmm. She's never interacting with Lucas. Uh, So to that end, it worked really well, but it does make you kind of look at it and, and question as you're watching is, is this actually working? You know, what in here uh, are they slipping at all? And, and why am I already in this place where I'm, I'm thinking about all of this. And so to that end, I mean, there were elements that I'm like, well, maybe they could have found a way to work it a little better, but I don't know. I guess I just ended up buying into it because I found it to be, well, there were a couple things. I, I found it to be a really an interesting exploration in grief and mm-hmm. especially in a situation like this. And, you know, I just want to talk about this now because this whole idea of lullabies and comfort for children uh, is obviously such a huge element of this film. I mean, we start with, I, it, I'm guessing it was a German TV show of some sort. I don't think it was the mother's something that the mom had done is we find out later she was like a tv hostess Mm -hmm. Um, but it was some old i don't know a german show the the woman is singing lullaby and goodnight to a group of children later in the film the boys are watching on a video camera an old video of their mom singing them their favorite lullaby this was before uh, she had gone for her plastic surgery and at one point we hear elias playing it on the piano the idea of a lullaby is something that is a, a parental thing that the parent provides for the kid to calm them, to make them feel safe and comfortable before they go to bed. The title, at least the English version of it, Good Night, Mommy, it feels like it has a little bit of that feel. And I feel like there's this sense of this brother who is so broken by the loss of his brother that he needs this comfort desperately. And up until the point where mom left for her plastic surgery, she had been providing that for him. She had been setting the table for Lucas, even though he wasn't really there anymore, and doing these elements, providing comfort for him that gave him the stuff that he needed to kind of still survive in some way. Why he wasn't in in grief counseling, I don't know, but you know it is what it is. Obviously, the parents also went through a separation because of the accident, and so there was a lot of stuff going on in their lives. But I think it's interesting that this is a kid who needs this. He absolutely needs a coping mechanism that he's created Lucas in his head. His mom has been going along with it. And then she has this plastic surgery, and it puts her in a place where she's not in a space to provide that comfort anymore. I'm sure she's dealing with a lot of pain and and difficulty of going through the surgery, having herself all bandaged, feeling different, looking different, pain constantly, all of that sort of stuff. And this kid still needs the the comfort, but is no longer getting that lullaby, no longer getting that. And I think that's what kind of pushes him over the edge and breaks him. And so because of that, I am able to kind of buy into everything that that ends up happening in the film. I mean, it certainly is extreme in every sense of the word, what this kid ends up kind of doing to his mother. But in a world where, 
you know, this kid, you know, needs this comfort. And it's almost like instead of a lullaby, he's now getting a Grimm's fairy tale at bedtime of this, this mom who's acting different. She's walking around bandaged all the time and, and not kind of being there. And so she's almost like a monster. And so I don't know. I found it to be such an interesting twist on the way that lullabies comfort and what ends up happening when this kid ends up getting something much darker instead. Yeah, I really like that um, uh, that perspective, and I I totally get it. And I think when you look at it from the mom side, like my well, well, and I should take a step back. I I feel like the movie is trusting me as the viewer to fill in a lot of holes, and I like that. Right, I, I like that experience. Like it, it's not spoon feeding me anything. For example, my take is that there was this accident, uh, but why did the mom need? plastic surgery like why did she leave for plastic surgery in my head it was something related to the accident right that that there was something she had to have done rehabilitatively or something that she was right that that felt to me like a connective piece to to the accident where lucas was lost and so she is demonstrating her grief too. the way she walks through the house, the way she's sort of she's sort of surgical in in her moves like she's just she's she is grieving as well. And when you look at it, this is it could be an example of when these two grieving partners are not looking out after one another. Right. Yeah. She is in, in her grief abandoning Elias's when he very much needs it. And <laughs> And there is a price to be paid for that. Um, and, and so I feel like when she, her bandages finally come off and she opens the door to his bedroom and says, well, what do you think? Right. After the, the, the boys have already started saying, you know, prove your, our mommy, we, where's our mommy? Um, and they don't buy it. Her demeanor changes pretty dramatically once the bandages come off. You can kind of see her turn around a little bit like she's she's trying to to reconnect but by then it's it's totally lost and yeah. and Elias is is gone uh for to her so i i i i like looking at it that way right that that ha- i have to be able to rationalize kind of her her grief too uh because you know i'm a parent and and so i'm i'm on team mom the whole time and uh so you know, by the end of the movie, I'm he's a bad seed. He's he's rough. Well, I mean, he yeah, I mean, he certainly is going through things. That's that is for sure. But Team Mommy on that side of things, she's not providing for him anything. He is clearly grieving, and she's not helping. She's mm-hmm. not saying, you know what, I'm going through a lot right now. My I hurt all the time because of my face. Mm-hmm. Let's get you over to dad's like like that's never an option. And I don't for, know for why. Example, I don't she know why comes, she comes home right at the beginning of the movie and he's just hanging out alone. Like, where is yeah. what wh- what sign is there that there has been a caretaker with them? I did. I miss it. Did I miss a babysitter? <laughs> no. Yeah, like, it's a little it's a little peculiar. It's so peculiar. Like, how is it? Of course, this kid has gone completely wild. Like, he's like, where's the conk? You know, he's he's ready. He's gone feral. She's been gone and he's been grieving. So, you know, you can make the case that she's he, he was already lost before she even came home. So it, it's it's rough. Um, 
And, and I think that is, that's one of the pieces that I think is set up maybe poorly in the script that we don't have enough structure around this family to believe where things went, went wrong. And that's, that's one of the pieces I, I don't connect with because you're absolutely right. Like she's not doing her part, but where's dad? We know she's talking to people on the phone. Where are the other sort of resources that come in, into play? At least tell us, at least Tell us why there's no other framework. Because if I'm left to fill in the holes, it just looks empty. It, it looks a little str- strange. And But to that end, I mean, it could be that we're so focused on kind of the children's perspective that maybe mm-hmm. there was somebody at the house. We just didn't yeah. see them when mom comes home. Yeah, I mean, who knows? But again, it might have helped to just have even hints of that. So we had some sense of, oh, there had been a structure here. We just, you know, it didn't matter to the kids that there was a structure there. Another element that does confuse me a little bit with Team Mom, and this really threw my family, was when Mom walks out of the house naked into the woods, or not naked, but she kind of takes her clothes off as she walks. And then we hold on her face, and then the camera does... This thing where basically it goes into uh, kind of fast motion and mom is like moving her head around, but at a speed that is insanely fast. And it looks like it's just this blurred thing. Like we can't we can't tell what her face actually looks like as she kind of moves it in this horrific kind of way. It's an interesting element to include. I just assumed that they went into fast motion as mom was just kind of like, you know, stretching her face and kind of remembering what it was like to just be a person not all bandaged up and everything but you know i can certainly see why like my family as they were watching thought that she was actually some sort of a monster creature right mm-hmm. they didn't they mm-hmm. said oh she's not really their mom something else is actually going on with this this person here yeah that's a a great point because there are definitely enough supernatural uh twists like hints in this movie that one being a big one uh that you can you can imagine why it's so hard to look at the movie uh through the lens of grief like it really does look like she's been replaced on that on that first viewing yeah it's a, it's a strange uh, what are the other moments that you would say that felt like there was a supernatural element well i you know i it's mostly around like the uh, lucas appearing disappearing camera tricks that sort of stuff like i just i i feel like that you can if you already if you don't know and then you the, about the brothers and then you see this this thing in the woods it's hard to look at the thing in the woods metaphorically right it looks like a literal exercise in some sort of supernatural possession, right? And and so I can I can totally see why by the end of the movie that's that's very confusing. And I think you could make the case that given all of the things that the boys are telling her at the end, like where's your mole and what all this stuff, right? Like all the things that are inconsistent that the boys are rightly picking out, um, you can kind of make the case that she was replaced, even up to the very end of the movie. I think I I could totally see somebody like making that case and they they wouldn't be wrong she doesn't know lucas's favorite song well his his favorite lullaby yeah she's she puts on a fake mole to just to really i mean i can see that like later from her perspective like she's trying to provide them with some sense of comfort the fact that she used to have a mole so she puts it on there before they wipe it off and she's Mm -hmm. like well you know they had to remove that so yeah 
um, which I thought was so interesting because yeah, she's this again, is like yeah, hoist by your own petard. I lady. know <laughs> exactly, exactly. So it's it's a very interesting interesting element. Yeah, another interesting element that I found was the cat. the The whole idea that they go into one of the creepiest cellars I've ever seen. It's like who who actually is taking care of the cellar? Why is there a cellar full of people's bones? I don't know what's going on here. I was thinking maybe it was some sort of a crypt for. I, I just really don't know. I, I thought I don't it know. was. An, I thought it was related to Nazis. I thought uh, it was a a Nazi like. Um, well, it was near chamber. the cemetery. Like they walk through yeah. the cemetery and then well, they come maybe, upon yeah. this type of cellar. And I was like, maybe this is where they put bodies at one point that you know were kind of homeless or unidentified, and they just kind of kept them in there. It, I, it's I really a lot don't of bodies. Know. It's a creepy, creepy place, and I don't yeah. know why it would be an unlocked door to get into a place yeah. like that. But they go in because they hear a cat meowing, and they find this clearly just an, an unhealthy cat that they decide to take home and keep for themselves. And then this cat, um, question mark, dies mm-hmm. in their house, or did mom kill it, which is kind of what they think, that she found it and killed it and hid it behind the uh, the furnace. Now it's possible, like, as, after you watch the movie, it's like, did they kill it and and kind of come up with this whole thing? Like, what actually happened to this cat? Or did it just die because it already looked pretty unhealthy? It looked pretty unhealthy. Like, I, I think just the fact that it, it looked unhealthy, like, you could make the case for any one of those three uh, paths. Yeah. Absolutely. I think you could. To me, the cat died. It went and crawled away into a, a dark place and it passed away of natural yeah. causes. That's yeah. That's what I saw. And Elias told a different story in his head and then i don't for the life of me understand why he took the next actions that he took he put it in the glass case like the fish tank and filled it with water like a weird art project i don't get it yeah well he's he's trying to push at his mom or at this creature that he thinks is his mom, right? He doesn't think it's mom at this point, and he's testing her. He thinks that she killed it, and so he is basically putting it on the table in the living room in as a, a showcase as a showcase saying, "I know what you're up to sort of thing and um she you know obviously doesn't take it that way. she thinks that he is dealing with his own issues in a really dark way. But again, this is one of those moments as a parent when you say, I need to take my kid in for some counseling. <laughs> yeah. You don't, you know, uh, ground him and put him in his room uh, for yeah. doing that. And then you also don't leave it there. Like it is it is there yeah. through the rest of the film. And I'm very unclear why they decide to leave it there. Because and then she pours, she pours their cockroaches on it. Like that's she, what she's yeah. pouring into it, right? Yeah. At the end. Yep. Yeah. She's oh, like drowning the cockroaches, which makes them come out. Okay. 
but then later like it is still there and that's what they they pour the gasoline in there and they light it as part of their whole thing when they're getting ready to burn the place down i mean it's it's i don't even i can't i can't like i can't rationalize that set of activities like that's one of those things that is just like i don't i don't understand how you got there from here um and and that the mom (laughs) would end up being like if in in my head again she's still mom and she's misunderstood because of her own grief but then why does she like it's such a petty thing to start putting the the cockroaches in the dead cat water i i don't understand why she would possibly do that to your point like that is the place where you call in external resources. And I think yeah. making the case that she's so grief stricken uh, that she can't call any outside support is it's beyond credulity for me. Well, and, and I so this is what I find interesting, because I I don't know, maybe I look at it. I, I stop worrying about how much I buy into some of those elements and I start just saying, OK, so it's it's a decision that she makes. Clearly, she's in a place where she's, I mean, she's in a lot of pain. We've seen her unwrap her bandages. One of them, well, Elias, obviously, was watching as she was kind of unwrapping her bandages. And you could see from behind how puffy her face was. Her eye, as she turns to look, is like incredibly bloodshot. Like she is a very kind of, you know, broken woman trying to kind of find herself again. So I imagine she's on painkillers. I just imagine she's going through a lot as she's trying to kind of heal and and deal with the pain of having her face uh, reconstructed in in some capacity. So I can see, to some extent, being the sole caretaker of this kid who's just acting out and doing all sorts of crazy stuff of getting incredibly frustrated and doing this as a way to kind of say, stop it. It's the wrong thing to do. It's not good parenting. <laughs> I'm not saying any of that. But what I am saying is that it makes for an interesting character moment that we have with this character that further pushes him to believe that his mom, who was this caring woman who would sing lullabies and and talk to his brother and all this sort of stuff, she's like, she's past that line. And she's like, I'm not going to play these games with you anymore. I'm not going to keep saying that Lucas is here. We're moving mm-hmm. on. I, I don't have it in me to do it right now because I'm in so much pain and I just want this to stop. And for me, I'm able to look past any sense of but why didn't she call somebody? But why would she be so uh, vengeful to pour his cockroaches into the water? Like all these things and just kind of go with it. And so for me, I found it to be um, just interesting. I, I still can see the problems with it, but yeah, I was able yeah. to more easily go along with it. Well, and and I think part of the the challenge that I have with it is that, you know, and I, you know, I'm all about believing in fantastical things in the second and third act of a movie. If the first act, I feel like sets it up well enough, like give me something to buy, to believe. But if this movie had me questioning so early in the movie that I just got into a habit of questioning through the entire thing. And by the end, I'm like, okay, they've glued her to the ground. <laughs> now they light her on fire. Like I, I couldn't get there from the beginning from the first frame of the movie as much as i really enjoy the 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 filmmaking of it i didn't enjoy the storytelling as much i enjoy thinking about it and the 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 discussion of the sort of the relative perspectives on grieving much more after the movie than i enjoyed actually watching it and because i just wasn't in your headspace i just i just didn't get there okay so do let's we, when do we talk about the red cross people though well, not yet. Not yet. Okay. But because I want to talk a little bit more about this ex- exploration of this family because I think it's interesting. So, okay. So, 
we have a point where the two brothers, we'll just say it's two brothers for the time being, mm-hmm. they decide she's not our mom. We need to figure this out. And they, they tie her to the bed. Mm-hmm. And, uh, while she's, uh, while she's sleeping, the, they, they tie her to the bed. They, um, make it so she can't move at all so that they can get information out of her and try to prove that she, one way or the other, that she's mom or she's not mom. Lucas, of course, is the broken part of Elias's brain saying she's not our mom and she's an imposter and we need to, uh, call this out. And, we start seeing the kind of the cracks in what's going on here because Elias gets to this point where he kind of is starting to beg her to come on, just please tell us your arm. Tell us your arm, mom. Prove it to mm-hmm. us. Come on. Bitte beweist, dass du die Mama bist. I mean. At that point, I mean, yes, they'd already tied her to the bed, and I can't remember at that at this point in the conversation had they already taken the magnifying glass and like burned a hole in her cheek. I can't remember at this particular point before we get to the end. Are you are you buying into what's happening at this point? The the extreme interrogation techniques. Yeah, that that's part of the problem. Is is that I'm emotionally not. I just I I'm not believing that that this kid goes that far. And I know I have to be able to suspend that disbelief to to kind of buy into the movie. And because the movie didn't set me up well enough in the beginning, I, I couldn't. Now, if I just get rid of all of my reaction, because I belabored that too too much in this conversation, I I think it is an intense sequence. And it's set up you know, well, just in isolation. And I think if I were to watch a clip of it, uh, starting from that conversation that they have where he is just sort of begging, please prove you're our mommy to when they they go the extra mile and start doing the the magnifying glass on her face and she's screaming like that. And, and there there is this strange thing where they put the thing in her mouth and start like flossing it somehow. I don't even know what they were doing with her face. They were there. cutting her gums. They they held her mouth open with like a stick so she couldn't yeah. close her jaw. And then they took, I'm assuming, floss or some sort of thing. And they were putting it between her teeth and they were cutting her, cutting into her gums. I don't That's know just, if they were trying to remove her teeth or just cutting, who, cutting her who gums. Who comes up with that? That's like the weirdest torture i've ever seen i'm going to pain floss you i don't i can't even with that but it is it's it's just horrible and it actually feels kind of childlike like this is a thing i hate doing so i'm gonna do it real hard to you um i i guess i I could buy that i could make that connection (laughs) um so i i feel like it is it is an intense sequence and in isolation it's a it Ugh, it's revolting in the right ways. How about that? Well, I mean, yeah, because it gets to a point where, I mean, this is where Lucas comes in because she's talking to to Elias saying, mm-hmm. just come on, I'm your mom. Let me out. And he's starting down, to buy it and down. he's starting to think about cutting her free. And then that's when Lucas comes in and, and, and starts pushing. Is like, what are you doing? Ask her what our favorite song is or what my favorite song is. And that's where he's, he starts pushing and she gets things wrong. And that's, it's, it completely works <laughs> against her because that's when they tape her mouth shut. And, uh, it just kind of goes from there to the point where eventually they will glue her mouth shut, which is horrifying only to have to cut it open later to kind of talk to her some more. But it's, it's, it's just a kind of a horrifying evolution 
of, yeah. of what they do, leading to all of the stuff at the end, which, I mean, again, I think what happens here is that this is a child who is, I think that's probably about the point when she doesn't know Lucas's song, she's put on a fake mole. And I, I think that he's kind of crossed a line of like, you're not my mom, you're an imposter, you've either done something to my mom or uh, have her somewhere. And I have to, I have to, I have to prove that because I need my mom back. And I think that for me, I'm able to buy into all of the crazy path that we end up going with the end because he's in this place where he's trying to get his mom back and he doesn't mm-hmm. think that this person is her. And so I'm able, like, if, if it's not his mom, then in his brain, he's like, I'm doing what I have to to get my mom to find out where what happened to my mom so I can get her back. And I don't think he intentionally sets her on fire. He sets the blinds on fire. He sets the couch on fire. He sets the tank on fire. Uh, and then all of it leads to mom bursting into flames when the tank bursts and the whole house going up. I mean, it's it's crazy. But I, I in my head, I'm able to ride that train with him. I, I wonder, and this is only in hindsight, I didn't think about this during at the time, but I wonder, because I'm so firmly on Team Mom, if actually she does know the favorite song, and in fact, it's Elias who doesn't know the favorite song. She's the mother. Like, it is quite possible that she knew it more than Elias did. Uh, and he just is so wrapped up in his own narrative at this point that that he just goes the whole distance. That's the, entirely possible. It's interesting. There, there are a few, uh, like in that last sequence, there are a few things, again, that take me out of it. And that is if he's really not there, what is happening when Elias takes an arrow out of his belt and gives it to Lucas, who is not there? And does the arrow, like, is he actually taking the arrow out of his belt and handing it over? Does it disappear in there? Can nobody else see it? Um, because at that point, Lucas takes the arrow, puts it in a little crossbow and is holding it. Uh, over mom at that point but that that is then tested when he takes the candle and is standing over by the curtain and elias says what is lucas doing right now and she says i can't see him then elias goes over and takes the candle from lucas and takes what happening to the candle is the candle suddenly in elias's hand suddenly everything's on fire so somehow fire transitioned hands in there so I I can also see why if you're not in the movie like me, those things end up being things that you poke at. And I can totally see where if you're in the movie, that's not even a question. It's a it's a fight club scenario. It's like yeah. how much of this is in his head. And for me, it's like the character of Lucas is in his head when Lucas is holding the crossbow. That's all, you know, in Elias's head. And, and yeah. Elias is there with the crossbow, which is probably speaks to. Well, and again, she throws the blanket on them to get away. Um, so. But again, it's like when when she actually does see them and she kind of runs and they're at the top of the staircase, there's not a like there's no arrow getting shot at her or anything like yeah. that. I, I feel like it's all in his head. And and he you know, I mean, he was lighting stuff on fire. So I I just buy there into were definitely the fact candles all over the place. Yeah. So I just think that he picks one up and, and sets it on fire. I don't I, I in my head, I don't think that there's a problem of kind of that transition from hand to hand. It's not like there's a floating candle there or something. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of buy into the the whole thing that it's just all in his head and he's seeing yeah. everything that his brother's doing. I get that. Yeah, I get that. 
Um, okay, now, Red Cross people? Oh, yeah, because this this is what leads to mom's mouth getting glued right. shut as opposed to just taped shut. Um, it also shows us just how soundproof their house is. Amazingly <laughs> soundproof. So much glass. That must be like triple, quadruple pane glass in that house. Yeah. I've never seen any Red Cross people so aggressive in my life. They just walk in that house. Like, they open the front door and walk in. Hallo? Dürft du um und wer sein? Hallo? Rotes Kreuz? Hallo? 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 Mama daheim? Nein, ist nicht da. Nein. Ist nicht da hinten, wir haben da was gehört? Nein, nein, das ist unser Hund. Ist nicht da? Nein. Das ist unser Hund. Aha. Wann wird denn Mama wieder zurückkommen? Hm? Ähm, eh bald. Dürfen wir warten? Und wo sollen wir warten? There is a massive cultural disparity between me and those Red Cross people. That is not okay at all to walk. If there is no door on the house, it's not okay to just walk in the house. It's, it was very strange. Their whole logic and reasoning of like, well, the door is open, so someone's home, so we'll just wait for them. It's like, who are you people? Who Never is you? this an okay thing, especially the Red Cross. Just because you're the Red Cross doesn't give you the right to kind of trespass because you're, quote, a good person. It was such a strange thing. And all of us were like, what are these people doing? Like, yeah. it was so weird. And then the fact that they're totally okay. They see nothing wrong with sitting there with a young boy while waiting for his mom to come home that just you know everything is wrong with that scenario like you don't do that super weird and uh yeah it was it was the strangest of scenarios um i don't see anything wrong with the way that it's put together of uh, story-wise in context of the film but from from my perspective i was like who are these people if they ever did this to me i would be calling the police well, and here's my here's my problem with it story wise. And it allows me to talk about my favorite concept in all of storytelling. Is it Watsonian or is it Doyleist? You know what I'm saying. If it's Doyleist, you are it, this is coming from the perspective of the screenwriter who's pushing something into the story because they need it to build to something else that comes later. If it's Watsonian, it's happening in the story because it's driven by the actual narrative itself. And it makes it makes internal sense for this thing to be happening. And I, my perspective on this is that the Red Cross people walking into the house and sitting at the table is 
Doylist. This is the screenwriter saying, we have to have these people in the house so we can build toward the intense moment when mom breaks the tape and is able to scream and have the Red Cross people just barely out of the the house and not able to hear her. We need all of them in the house to build tension for the mom uh, that we just think she's about to get away and will she only get help? We need it. And it doesn't make any other sense, uh, you know, beyond that internally to me. Now, if I am completely wrong, it is because I am I am so culturally shocked that people just wander in the house. If that's a thing that happens in Austria, I stand corrected. But the way I look at it, this felt manipulative on the part of the screenwriting and not on the part of the narrative. And I think that logic is completely sound. I don't see any issue with what you're saying there. And what did you call the Red Cross? To, to that you end. know what your people are doing. <laughs> to that end, I mean, yeah, it, it, it certainly makes me look back at it and question it some more. It's like, well, you know, that is pretty manipulative to, to create the scene that way, just so it allows for more tension to arise. Mm-hmm. It would have made more sense if it had been, to that end, the priest who had they had you know run into town to tell somebody our mom's not our mom and they talked to the priest who yes takes them home um not to the police <laughs> which i mean it makes sense that's what he should have done said hey i found your kids and then mom has the you know she says something he he's like what was this all about and she, i can't remember what she says like he's still dealing this with is, the grief of the accident yeah this has all been much this has all been a bit much um right and- yeah right and, which and which calls to to tone right that that the priest probably knows it feels yeah. like a small country kind of a village sort of place right that, that right. the priest i'm sure the priest knows everything that has happened oh, well although it does feel like she is new to town like it feels like they had not really lived here much before I, I i it was a little unclear but again this this speaks to kind of the the way the story is put together where we're not necessarily given all of that information we just kind of are, are left to kind of divine it from the story as it goes along like what does mom do how long have they been here things like that and you know mm-hmm. to that end i was totally fine with all of those elements, I thought it was pretty interesting kind of the way that it was put together. But yeah, it, it leaves these moments like, what is the story with the priest? And, and has he talked to the mom before? I mean, she he she doesn't say much, but yeah, just references, you know, it has been much dealing with the accident and the separation. So mm-hmm. you get that sense. So it is pretty interesting. It is. It is really interesting. I, I think. But that but that would have made more sense to have them talking to the priest. I guess that was my point. I, it is a great point. It's a great point. And talk about a character that is underused for the narrative. Like, it just makes so much more sense for me to have the priest somehow asserting himself uh, a, yeah. a little bit more. And uh, so I, I filed that under missed opportunity. Now, I have a question for you. The title in German, uh, and I guess it's a high German, which is what the dialect of German, I guess, that they speak more in kind of Austria. Um hmm. Was I see, I see, or ich se, ich se. I'm not sure if I'm saying it right, but um, that's the title in German. When when you have that as the title, I see, I see. Does that? I mean, does that change how we read or see the film? Uh, do you get anything different from that as the title, or does it does it change anything at all? I don't know. I guess maybe it's uh, sort of leveling up the the twin factor, and and 
I guess this is related. Forgive me if it's an aside. Um, the picture that they find of her and that other woman dressed like her, yeah. she was a twin too, right? Is that what you get? She, she like sort of, they ask, who is this woman? And she demurs a little bit and says, uh, it's just a really good friend and we used to wear the same clothes. But to me, it seemed like a parallel that was playing out there, that she somehow had a twin and maybe somehow lost her. I didn't read it that way. I thought it was a friend. Okay. I, I could never see the picture close enough to identify if they if they completely looked the same. Um, but my sense was the kids thought it was this other woman, not their mom, who had taken over mom's place. Well, and that's yet a fourth potential narrative that maybe it was a twin, the, her twin that came back and took yeah. over the thing. So th- lots of different possible ways. Anyway, I felt like ICIC is more of a play on the twin relationship and what we are supposed to as the audience see. And I prefer that. I didn't I don't like the title Goodnight Mommy. I think it's dismissive of what's actually going on in the story. And it's lazy. It's lazy retitling. I, I don't have an issue with I, I kind of um, like the English titling because at least it does have a sense that that uh, of this whole lullaby connection that I was talking about earlier. And so to mm-hmm. that end, I, I kind of like Goodnight Mommy. I again, maybe they could have done something more with lullaby in the title. But um, I see I see it's an interesting title, but I don't think I get a lot out of it other than, as you said, there's kind of perhaps a twin factor, mm-hmm. but it doesn't tell me anything about the story. So. I don't know. I guess I end up not being completely sold on either of the titles. I don't like I think Mommy Dearest has the corner on the word mommy in the title. I just don't like using mommy in the title. I feel like that's I I don't I don't know. Would you have preferred Goodnight Mummy as it was in England? Yes. (laughs) Goodnight Mummy. (laughs) So, Uh, yeah. What did you think of the twins, though? Lucas, who really are named Lucas and Elias. Yes. Did you like them? Yeah. I think they're terrific. And and uh, the, I I think they were great cast. And I have no problem with any of the casting, but I think the twins yeah. had a heavy load to carry, and I think they did great. Yeah, Suzanne Wiest as the mother or mutter. I mm-hmm. thought she was really great, especially having to kind of go through half of the film with bandages on your face. That's, uh, you know, quite a, a challenge. I thought that she pulled off quite well. It's interesting, mm-hmm. speaking to the casting of the twins, that uh, Veronica and Severin, actually had narrowed their twins down to three potential pairs. And they, you know, in the casting sense, they really felt like whichever one we pick, that's going to really shape a lot of how we treat them in the story and what we show them doing and stuff. And so they really thought about it because there was a smarter pair, but that was they were less athletic. There was a pair that was more athletic, but they seemed a little more devious. And then there was this pair that we got. I, I, thinking about the other options, what they would have provided for us, I, I really feel like they picked the right pair. I, I like the way that this pair plays everything because I, I don't feel like they're too devious. I like the fact that they're outdoors doing stuff all the time, but they also seem very clever. Like it was, I, I thought really, um, smart casting with this, this pair of twins. Well, and I think it, it would have been easy to go with a more devious portrayal, but that also gives away too much or, or maybe masks some of the more significant issues of the psychology going on. And it just makes it about evil kids. And yeah. you don't want that, right? You don't, you, you want to walk away being able to talk about it and not just bad seed it. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, a lot of great moments throughout the movie between the kids doing stuff like, you know, having burp fights and you mm-hmm. know actual fights where and they're fights fighting where you're seeing what hurts things like that mm-hmm. swimming in the lake what 
the hell is that blobby hard mud stuff that they're walking on at one point? Like, I was like, is this is this a real thing? Like, I don't even know what it was, but it was such a peculiar environmental thing that I'm assuming was really there that they just captured because it was there. I was I f- was mesmerized by watching yeah. them walk on this like giant blob of like hard mud. It was really weird. Yeah, there was a lot of weird going on in the in in <laughs> their homeland. It yeah. was uh, a lot of like wonderful exploratory stuff and again captured so beautifully. Oh, uh, I I wonderful. love the way they captured the lake, the way they they just the the low angles on the surface of the lake as the as the ripples are going through the pond. And I, I thought that was just beautiful. Well, the cinematography throughout really set up this, just this world so mm-hmm. perfectly. One of my favorite moments was when they're walking through the corn and it's a, it's a high shot looking down on the corn and you only see a little pocket of movement here and then there and then here and there. And as you realize later, you're like, Oh, it's just one kid walking. But the way they set it up is like, well, there's one thing there. Oh, and there's a thing there. It could be two kids moving opposite each other. And so mm-hmm. they set it up in a really clever way. And even when you get in there, like you see just one kid walking. And then the way the camera kind of moves, suddenly you're like, oh, there is actually two kids there. I just didn't see that first, uh, yeah. the other kid. I mean, it's really clever, uh, just the way that they constructed so many of the shots throughout the film. I, I think, again, I don't know how it, it was just really beautiful, beautiful, beautiful photography. No, I I mean it's a it's an interesting film. I I I really enjoyed it. I know I see so many of the problems that you have with it. Like it's all there. I don't uh I, I don't have any um complaints about them though. And that's what I find interesting is I'm able to just kind of go along with it and and see see this just kind of this dark twisted story about this this kid who can't deal with his grief and it takes him down this dark dark path and oh let's talk about the end real quick before we wrap up because i found that to be interesting he accidentally sets the house on fire and as we saw he had locked all the doors i don't know if he doesn't know where the keys are or what but as we get to the end uh, and we see mom burst into flame, we cut to later when the fire trucks are there putting the house out and it's a wide shot. And we see in the back of the house, a woman in a dress kind of walk out and then walk off into the woods. And as we come to join her, we see that it's mom and it's her ghost, I guess her spirit. And she joins both of her kids out there. Right. So the way the way I watched it is that Elias got exactly what he needed psychologically, which is he is now living with his dead brother and now his dead mom. And it's the perfect version of both of them. But the way you just said it made me think, did I miss it? Did Elias die too? Well, that's what I'm getting at. Cause I'm like, maybe he also died. Maybe he couldn't get out of the house because yeah. he had locked it, everything up and uh, who knows where the keys are at this point, but maybe he is trapped in it and maybe he dies too. And now it's the mom and the two sons uh, reunited together. And Which is exactly death. what he wanted all along. Yeah. That's yeah. unsettling. Speaking of Very unsettling, dark. the length that they give you to stare at their faces in that final shot is rough. That's a <laughs> long time staring at that happy trio. Yeah, I I liked it. I know. It's really unsettling. Yeah, Yeah, that's that's disquieting. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, and but it's I don't know. I I found it to be a really interesting ending. Honestly, it was uh, yeah. I mean, 
I, you start going through all these things in your head. Like, were both kids there? Was this all in her head? Like, I, which I don't think was the case, but it's, it was something that went through my head because we do only see the one kind of ghostly figure walking away. But, um, I don't yeah. know. I found it to be, uh, a very unsettling film that, uh, I, I don't know. It was, is certainly something fascinating to watch and include in our series here. Well, as usual, your enthusiasm, uh, for, so many of these points that I'm looking at way too critically, I think, uh, does improve with conversation. So um, I, I, I'm rethinking kind of how I'm, my perspective on my, my rating and review. We'll, we'll see. I mean, you say <laughs> all the problems are there and you see them. But I have to ask you, Andy, are they are they really there? <laughs> all right, everybody, we will be right back. But first, our credits. The next reel is a production of True Story FM, engineering by Andy Nelson, music by ANBR, Tom Goldstein, Oriel Novella, and Eli Catlin. Andy usually finds all the stats for the awards and the numbers at the-numbers.com, boxofficemojo.com, imdb.com, and wikipedia.org. Find the show at truestory.fm. If your podcast app allows ratings and reviews, please consider doing that for our show. sequels and remakes andy tell me tell me brian cox is going to be in this with naomi watts <laughs> naomi watts in more horror remakes that's what the world needs that's right that's right uh, i i yeah it variety reported just earlier this year uh, that naomi watts is going to be starring in and is executive producing a remake of Goodnight Mommy for Amazon. Matt Sobel is on to direct the film. Uh, Veronica France and Severin Fiala are both on as executive producers. I don't know what the status of this is other than it had been announced. I think April is when they announced it. So I'm assuming that it's kind of been underway, but I don't know much more than that. I'm not surprised that uh, it's being remade, but uh, part of me just kind of wishes that people would just watch this one. Yeah, it's the force majeure problem, right? The original was great. Yeah, like why why bother going in and, and redoing it? So yeah, um, and Matt Sobel, I don't know much about Matt Sobel. He directed Take Me to the River, which uh, mm -hmm. in 2015, I'm not that familiar with it. He directed X to Y. Uh, brand new cherry flavor is a movie of his that just came or, or I, 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 yeah, it just came out. Netflix. Um, yeah. It just came you know, out. The, the Netflix show, right? Or is it Netflix or I was thinking Amazon. No, you're right. It's no, Netflix. it's Netflix. And, and currently filming this is what it says on IMDb. So I, I guess we'll just wait to see how it shakes out. Uh, you know, I'm not sure what he, what he does as a director. So I'll be curious to see if it, if it's as, uh, at least cinematically as well constructed as this one is. How about award season, Andy? Did it hit any uh, any anything of note? This was very popular in award circles. Twenty two wins, thirty six other nominations at the Academy of Science Fiction, Fantasy, and Horror Awards, the Saturn Awards, which is one of our favorites to talk about. It was nominated for Best International Film, but lost to Turbo Kid. And the Twins were nominated for Best Performance by a Young Actor, but they lost to Ty Simpkins in Jurassic World. At the Austrian Film Awards, which is right at home where the film was made. 
It won all five of the awards it was nominated for. Best Feature Film, Best Directors, Best Cinematography, Best Makeup, and Best Production Design. So it it just kind of cleaned up with all of that. At the European Film Awards, uh, Martin Geschlacht, uh, who is the cinematographer, received the, uh, for a European cinematographer, he received the Carlo De Palma Award. And this is what they had to say. The photography in Goodnight Mommy is extremely consistent and suggestive. Every frame is created in the atmosphere of the film and strengthens its dramaturgy. These pictures are testimony to the huge visual sensitivity of the cinematographer. They are an excellent example of the use of composition and light and offer a new, very modern understanding of the art of cinematography. How nice is that? That's that's a lovely compliment. I wish more awards had little write-ups like that. That was just right? great. Yeah. Um, Veronica and Severin also were nominated at the European Film Awards for the European Discovery, but they lost to the film Mustang. Interesting note, uh, with all of these awards that they received, 16 of the 22 wins went to the writer-director pair. So clearly people saw yeah. a lot in this film of what how they wrote it and how they directed it. Of course, this makes me want to look up Turbo Kid. Uh, in a post-apocalyptic wasteland of 1997, a comic book fan adopts the persona of his favorite hero to save his enthusiastic friend and fight a tyrannical overlord. From François Simard, Anouk Wissel, and Johan Carl Wissel. And uh, it stars uh, Monroe Chambers, Laurence Leboeuf, and guess who is playing the tyrannical overlord, Andy? Oh my goodness. I'm going to say it's... um, Oh... Why am I you blanking on his name? Leon. Nope. Yeah, who played Leon. No. Nope. Gerard Depardieu. Michael Ironside. Oh, okay. That is not the name that you expected there. Nope. But it's the name you now know had to be there all along. Interesting. Interesting. Wow. Uh, we need to put Turbo Kid on our list. Pronto. <laughs> That's right. That's right. All right. How to do at the box office. It's frustrating. I Sometimes these foreign films are very difficult. I couldn't find any budget information about Francis and Fiala's film, except that it was low budget. That's all I could find. Um, oftentimes, that's when people just don't release their numbers. These independent production companies sometimes don't want people to know that their movie actually didn't make any money. Who really knows? I just, I, I don't know. Regardless, the movie did debut at the Venice International Film Festival August 30th, 2014, before its Austrian release January 8th, 2015. This movie had a very slow release schedule kind of around the world, finally having its limited U.S. theatrical debut September 11th, 2015 on five screens opposite The Perfect Guy, The Visit, 90 Minutes in Heaven, Sleeping with Other People, and The Beauty Inside. It eventually did hit 90 screens, but it never did that well at the box office. The movie ended up only earning $1.18 million domestically and $1.02 million internationally for a total gross of $2.4 million in today's dollars. Without the budget, though, I really have no way of knowing if the film was profitable or not. But I guess you can say, hey, at least it did well enough to draw people's attention so that they could say, let's remake it. I guess that's a win. (laughs) (laughs) Which, of course, makes me look up 90 Minutes in Heaven just to see if they're playing the game wrong. And it turns out that's not what it's about at all. (laughs) Don't don't go there for what if you're thinking what I'm thinking. Don't go to that. Wrong, go look at wrong direction. Very different. Direction, very different. Yep. Uh, well, it's. Uh, it, I'm. I'm glad to have talked about it. I'm glad to get it uh, rated. It's a absolutely a worthy entry into our horror debut 
series. Uh, and so I'm, I'm thrilled. I, uh, yeah, I, I had a great time with it. I was questioning my sensibilities of deciding to watch it with my whole family because of my young children. But I said, <laughs> you know what? Um, we kind of just told them there's, there might be some stuff in this that we say cover your eyes. Um, but they both did okay. And it made for a really interesting kind of conversation as they, you know, came to realize at the end that there was only one twin and the mm-hmm. other one was just dealing with, with his grief. And, I thought it was a, actually a very fun conversation. So I'm glad I watched it and it piqued my curiosity to uh, to kind of continue watching what Veronica and Severin continue doing with their filmmaking careers. And if people want to hear more conversations about other stuff that Veronica and Severin have done together, they should listen to the Trailer Rewind episode where they talked about The Lodge. Of course, that's these two. <laughs> Of course. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Hey, speaking of curiosity being peaked, we're going to come back and talk about our ratings. But first, you got to check out this trailer for next week's movie, A Girl Walks Home Alone at Night by Anna Lily Amirpour. Have you watched it? We want to know what you thought. Send us your thoughts in a 30-second audio clip, and we'll get your review in the episode. Just send it to reviews at truestory.fm. Andy, how are you approaching Letterbox? Five star and a heart? No it's quibbles? Not, nope, nope. Uh, no, it's, you know, there are <laughs> clearly issues with the film. I'm able to just have a great time and enjoy what is being presented here by the filmmakers, despite some of these story issues that I have. Generally, when I find a film is in that kind of zone, I end up between three and four stars. And for this one, just I think because of the construction of how beautiful the film is, like everything in here is just mesmerizing to look at, just incredibly well constructed. I'm going to say four stars and a heart. Four stars. Okay. Yeah. I, uh, I'm, I'm not quite that high, but uh, again, you know, my new baseline is three stars because oh. of the IMDb six star rule. This is absolutely, uh, over the hump, even though I found it kind of boring through most of it. I'm going to give it three and a half stars because it's a beautiful and that extra half star is the Andy Nelson star. <laughs> 
because I really enjoyed talking about it. And I think you have to, in order to be able to talk about it, you got to see it. And uh, I, I don't think I don't think you can really go wrong watching this movie uh, if if you know what you're getting into. And there's certainly a lot to talk about. So, yeah, three and a half. Yeah. Yeah. yeah three and a half. Three I'll even half. give it a heart. Hey, all right. I just want to say uh, in context of like <laughs> watching this with my kids and telling them when to cover their eyes. There also mm-hmm. was a point when my wife decided she needed to cover her eyes. And that was when the kids put the bug on mom's face. And that was the, the, the cockroach decided to crawl into mom's mouth. That was the moment that she about lost it, which uh, okay. says, was hey, that a, it was working. Was that a, <laughs> a, some sort of a dream sequence? I was wondering because the payoff to that is when they cut open her stomach in the dream and they all come out. Yeah. Um, and so they were both dreams, right? I don't know if the first one was a dream or not, or if they were really doing that. That was uh, that was a dark thing. What's interesting is in the trailer, they cut that in a way where you see that happen, and then the kids leave, and then it cuts to mom opening her eyes and crunching something, which is totally different moment in the film. But that's yeah. like an effective use of trailer cutting when they can take a couple things like that to create something that completely doesn't happen in the film, so... Mm-hmm. I loved this trailer. This trailer, when I saw it, sold me on the movie. I just never ended up seeing the movie until now. So I'm glad I finally did. Really interesting movie. And I am thrilled that we now have it in the library of films we have talked about on this show. <laughs> the next real Memorial Library. <laughs> where you can't watch the movies, but you can talk about them a lot. That's right. So what did you think about Goodnight Mommy? Or Ixe Ixe, if you prefer. Or Goodnight Mommy. We want to know. Just hop into the Show Talk channel on Discord, where we will be talking this week about this movie. When the movie ends, our conversation begins. Letterboxd, give it, Andrew. As Letterboxd, always do it. Okay, my strategy changed this week. I'm going to let you go first. Okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, mine's All very right. short and, and to the point. Five stars by Miggs, who says, Happy Mother's Day. <laughs> <laughs> That's it? That's the review. <laughs> who watched it on Mother's Day, I might add. Oh, outstanding. So, you you know what? Perfect Mother's Day film. <laughs> I would, I would like mother. to say, don't, don't do that to your mother or with your mother. <laughs> Only if you uh, have twins. I decided, I don't know why I decided to do this, but I ended up somehow in the popular reviews section on this movie. So I looked up what is the most popular review because we talk about Letterboxd all the time and we think, hey, Letterboxd is amazing. You can share your uh, well thought out, well penned critical perspective on film and you can get a uh you can pay for a subscription and we have a partnership and you can use next reel we talk about this all the time and so i thought what's the most popular critic or popular review of this film and here it is from igor stenojevic uh it is unstarred but it has 1004 likes the next most popular review has 480 likes 1004 likes here it is i know they're just children but youthful ignorance is no excuse for wearing Crocs. <laughs> <laughs> they wear they wear the hell out of those Crocs. <laughs> uh, but the second review, the second most popular at 480, is the most frightening thing is how pushy Red Cross people are. <laughs> oh. <laughs> to, to our point. So true. Red Cross. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyhow. Thanks, Letterboxd. Letterboxd.
I've been podcasting since 2006. In that time, I've tried countless hosting platforms. But in August 2022, we switched to Transistor to power all of our shows here at True Story FM. And it's been a game changer. I love the Transistor allows unlimited podcasts and storage without extra charges. We can publish so much content. And we do. If you want to start up a podcast, do yourself a favor and host your show on Transistor. With their one-click publishing, you can get your new show onto all the major podcast directories effortlessly. And their website builder lets you quickly build custom sites for each show. The detailed analytics are invaluable, too. You can access all kinds of listener data anytime. Oh, and the versatile players allow you to embed episodes anywhere to reach new listeners. Plus, the team behind Transistor is super responsive and keeps making the platform even better. After using countless hosting services over 15 plus years, Transistor has been hands down the best podcast partner for us. If you want a hosting platform to take all the worry out of getting your podcast out into the world, go to thenextreel.com slash Transistor and check it out. Support our show and support your own show by going to thenextreel.com slash transistor. Start growing your podcast today.